Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, you're very welcome to the Mick Clifford podcast with the Irish Examiner on today, Friday, 28th of February. Now, any of you who might peruse the US channel CNN or follow in any way, I suppose, what you might call the circus of Donald Trump's presidency, may have come across my guest this week. Donny O'Sullivan hails from South Kerry and is CNN's disinformation, technology and politics correspondent. He appears regularly on the US networks as something of an expert on how both foreign powers and domestic political interests use social media to disseminate false information, which in turn levers huge influence on the political system. Donny was taken on by CNN in the wake of the 2016 presidential election when it became apparent that social media had been used by Russia and some of the homegrown groups to influence the election of Mr Trump. I met him earlier and began by asking him how a man from Carsevin ended up at the heart of the CNN operation. That's a good question. I got lost, I suppose. Uh, no, I was... Uh I got lucky enough out of college. Um, I, I did I did politics in, in UCD and did a, did a year above in Queens and Belfast. But I was always into what was going on on the internet and how that was affecting politics um, and had been following that for a long time. And uh, Mark Little, who was the former uh, correspondent for RTE for Washington and then he, I think he presented primetime, he had set up Storyful, which was this, what they call it the world's first social media news agency about 10 years ago. And I got an internship with them out of college. And what that job involved was sort of, you know, any time there was a bomb going off in any part of the world, London or Pakistan or anywhere, people obviously now are posting pictures and videos up online. And what Storyful did was they would find these pictures as it was all happening and make sure that they were real. So they'd verify them and they'd provide those images to newsrooms. And so basically I moved to America in a... 2016, um, with Storyful, and eventually ended up at CNN to, to basically do what I was doing um, at Storyful with CNN to, to start. And you, 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 you have a great title in, in terms of journalism, Donny, uh, Disinformation, Politics and Technology Correspondent. <laughs> That's right, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I'll pretend I understand what it all means. Um, I, <laughs> so what happened, Vic, was I suppose after the 2016 election in the US, um, it was a real wake-up, I think, uh, the U.S. intelligence community. So CIA, all the main agencies came out in January 2017, and they said Russia was, you know, doing something. Um, and we later found out that Russia hacked the emails of the Democratic National Committee and all this, but that they were also running all these sort of social media accounts pretending to be Americans. And How exactly would that work, Tony? Yeah, so... That was the question we were sort of asking ourselves in January 2017. It was only a line or two, really, in the first warning from the from from the intelligence community that said, yeah, Russia was doing something on social media. So, first of all, people were like, gosh, what's a few social media posts, a few Facebook pages? And secondly, people were asking, well, what, what did these things look like? So, CNN eventually put me on the case. They said, you're the lad who, in breaking news, in the moment you... 
you get the videos from social media and you figure out if they're real or not. Can you now find this wider campaign from Russia to undermine American democracy? So I said, yeah, give me 15 minutes and I'll find that now. <laughs> so it sort of started a, a months-long, years-long now investigation. But what we initially found and what was later well-documented by Robert Mueller's investigation was that for years, even way before Trump even was running or even before he was on the scene, uh, Russia started setting up um, Facebook pages to look like a real American activists. So to look like Black Lives Matter, the African-American movement, um, to look like pro-gun activists, to look like pro-LGBT activists, to look like anti-LGBT activists. So on all sides of the political spectrum, they were setting up these pages. And you might say, well, so what? What was stunning about it was some of actually, for instance, one of the biggest Black Lives Matter Facebook pages. Just, just tell people, Black yeah. Lives Matter was the organisation, a number of black people had been shot by the police in various parts of America and an organisation was set up on the basis that they felt this was blatant discrimination and they were being basically shot because they were black. Yeah, it all sort of came, started, I think, 2014 or so after the shooting of Michael Brown is when it really came up. And so really now it's the most prominent African-American civil rights organisation um, or group in the US. Um, but a lot of the thing about online activism is it's, it can be anonymous. And that's part of the, the beauty of it, because if you want to speak out about something, maybe you don't want your face up on the media. Maybe you don't want to be associated with it. And I think we've all had the experience where we're on Facebook and we're scrolling through our feed and we see, oh, there's an event today, a protest in Marion Square. And we look at the page and we might not know who's running the page that's organizing this Facebook event. But we might see, oh, well, four of our friends are already saying they're going along to it. So I'll go along to it. And that's just the nature of, of digital activism. So basically what Russia was doing was they were setting up these massive, that turned into massive Black Lives Matter groups. And again, other sides of the spectrum too. Um, and they were starting to recruit unwitting Americans to one, do legitimate protests, but two, then trying to pull them for, to the further extreme side. So if you were to think about the civil rights movement in the 60s in the US, you had the Martin Luther King and then you had the Black Panthers to the sort of other end. That They keep trying to pull real activists in the US to the more sort of extreme edge and to wind them up and to just sort of sow division and sort of exacerbate the existing issues within the US. And what would be the advantage from Russia's point of view in doing that, Tony? Exactly, yeah, because, I mean, and a lot of people, I think, Americans who look at this and say, well, sure, what's the harm if we're, you know, if I'm an activist anyway, if the page, doesn't matter who runs the page. But if you think back to the Cold War in the 70s and 80s, and you think about all the spy stories, Russia, and same with the US, of course, but Russia, in, in the US, there's a history of um, the Soviets trying to infiltrate the, you know, anti-war movement, all these different groups, and, and the civil rights movement. But to do that back then, they would have had to recruit assets. They would, or they would have had to actually train up a spy, put them into the U.S. undercover for years, decades maybe, and then have them go into the organization. And normally, it is to either gather intelligence or to, you know, just sort of ruffle feathers a bit more. Now, Russia can do that from the comfort of a behind a computer screen, and we actually now know the address of where they were doing it in St. Petersburg. I'm sure they might have moved, but. Um, they can do all this. They can actually get people out onto the streets. What they were doing was they were using these American companies, American platforms, Facebook, Twitter, PayPal, and they'd reach out to someone 
they might reach out to a, an activist and say, um, can you help organise this event down down the street today? And we'll we'll pay we'll send you some money through PayPal. And they were sending people five or six hundred bucks. Uh, in one case, and and sorry, the, yeah. the gist of this being to so um, amount to civil unrest, effectively. Yes, that's pretty much it. It's just to cause a bit more chaos than there already is. And I mean, I think you know, America, America and American media uh, have you know, there's a bit of an obsession, obviously, with this notion of foreign meddling and Russia and whatnot. Um, you know, Americans, just like Irish, are perfectly capable of sowing their own unrest and division. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But from the perspective of Vladimir Putin, you know, if you could cause further tension that could further weaken American society, that's what you want to do. And you, they can do this. They, they have, like, they might have a few hundred people working on this. It's extremely cheap in terms of, if you think of an intelligence operation or a, a form of espionage operation, in that you don't have to, there's very low risk in that you have all your, Buckos sitting behind a computer in Russia, but you could still do all this stuff in, in the US. And tell me this, Tony, um, an impression has certainly gone out there that one aim of the Russians at this time was to push for the candidacy of Donald Trump for whatever reason. Did you come across evidence to that effect? Um, yes. Um, the, the Robert Mueller, so when there was the investigation launched, special counsel investigation, launched into all this part of big part of the investigation was actually looking into well what was going on on the social media side of things and of course um robert Mueller being with the with the fbi having access to throws of intelligence they were basically able to get into some of the internal systems of where these russian trolls are operating from and emails and things like that and a memo actually went out and in early i think early uh, or the spring of 2016 which was saying all the posts across all our pages. And now remember remember what they have in place, right? They have pro-Black Lives groups, anti... So all sides, on the left, on the right. And they say, uh, on, the, on, the, on the pages that might be Democrat, don't push Hillary. Push someone like Bernie. Push somebody that will undermine Hillary. And j- j- just to put yeah. in for some people who may not yeah. be that familiar, like as you said, they might have pro and anti. But in terms of the feeds, the nature of the algorithms and all are such that those, for example, who are on the pro would not be receiving or would it would be very difficult for them to come across the type of material that would be aimed towards, for instance, those, those who were on the other side who were anti or whatever. Exactly, yeah. So basically the memo went out which said, support Trump in the post and undermine Hillary. Now obviously for them to look believable, if it's a Black Lives Matter group, they're not going to like Trump because Black Lives Matter more on the left would probably be more aligned with Democrats. So they said, but on those pages, just basically talk, crap about Hillary and push Bernie and things like that. Um, so there was, I mean, from the evidence, that that's certainly what seemed that they were pushing for Trump. I would say that, you know, in, in saying that, uh, I think what's been overshadowed a bit is that this operation was up and running long time before Trump came around. So, you know, there, there was, there's still a much wider operation in terms of actually just trying to sow division in American life, you know? And now, and just... Um, just over the past few days, we've heard that that uh, intelligence officials have briefed lawmakers in the US to say that Russia is doing exactly the same stuff now on social media. So there's a big, 
you know, there, there's a lot of resources at places like Facebook being put in to try to stop this from happening again. And having the likes of you, somebody in the media, as you said, this became, this was sort of, uh, it was thrust upon people in 2016, but now people like yourself, is it less likely that they could be as successful in disguising themselves? Yeah, I mean, that's that's a good point. This job, the job I have didn't exist four years ago, yeah. even though it really should have, because all this stuff was going on. We just weren't paying attention to it. Um, it's definitely gotten harder for them, I think, you know, in terms of setting up, like, these, you know, there was pages where they had almost a million followers. I think that would be harder for them to do now. But what is easy to do, and what we're seeing, we're seeing the, the companies have gotten a bit better at telling the media and telling the public and the intelligence community, when they've taken, when they've seen stuff and been able to actually tie it back. Just the social media companies yeah. themselves, Facebook, yes, Twitter, whomever. Yeah. Uh, so Facebook, every few months, will come out and say, "Right, we took down these group pages again. Some a lot of imposing as Americans, and we were able through their technical investigations to tie it back to Russia or to Russian intelligence." Um, and so, what I think now, what these pages, what the campaign is probably looking more at doing, the Russian campaign, that is is more making the one-to-one personal connections with activists in the U.S. and then trying to get them to do certain things, very likely unwittingly on the part of the real activist. And and the other thing that arises there, Donny, is, um, as you say, that's the Russian interfering. What about internally? What about, uh, and when you think about it, to to have to be covering disinformation, how far we've come, just talk about that in a minute. But what about internally? Is it possible for... Uh, social media gurus, for want of a better word, to spread information on behalf of one candidate that's basically doing the same thing, but it's just internal to America without any outside influences. Exactly. The bigger issue is how social media enables misinformation, false information to be able to spread. Uh, Absolute lies being able quickly to be seen by hundreds of thousands or millions of people. And that, for the most part, is coming from, you know, there's a lot of shady characters in American politics, a lot of shady super PACs, all that sort of stuff. And that is happening, of course, some of the campaigns. I mean, sometimes President Trump pushes out false information. Uh, So I think the bigger challenge is the discussion that needs to be had around what what is Facebook making us all become? Do you know what I mean? In terms of we can now so quickly see these conspiracy theories about whatever it is, telling you not to vaccinate your children, all this sort of stuff. And it appears in the feed, for the most in your social media feed, as it looks the same as an article from the Irish Examiner or, or New York Times or CNN. You know, they all look the same. And so, that, but a, you know, a, new, a link that's actually made by some fella in his basement, you know, will, can appear as authoritative in the Facebook news feed as something from a journalist. And again, for so, some people who may yeah. not be that familiar with Facebook, the, the news feed, as you call it, if, for example, I have a, a Facebook page and say, for instance, I don't like, well, we'll use this example because we're both from the same place. I don't like Kerry people, right? Just let's, right. let's just use that. <laughs> and so if there's an odd story, the, 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 the algorithm sees that I have this slight prejudice against Kerry people. So therefore, anywhere there's out there that there's anti-Kerry people stories, they're going to throw that at me. Anything that's out there where there is, say, perhaps a pro-Kerry story, they're not going to let that near me. Therefore, any mild prejudices I might have had at the start, they become completely reinforced as a result of this feed. And I have nothing to contradict 
this line that's being fed to me constantly by the, the, the algorithm, as they call it. Yeah, it creates an absolute digital echo chamber where you're only seeing opinions uh, that you agree with, uh, often most times the hype, most hyper-partisan, most outla- outlandish. Now, Facebook will obviously dispute a lot of what we're probably saying here, and they'll say, well, actually, we've made all these improvements over the past few years, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but ultimately, at the end of the day, the, like, the product they're selling is based on, here's, here's, a, here's a, a feed of stuff that we think you're interested in, or we know you're interested in. And they want people ultimately to stay on their site, you know, to, to go back a few times a day or whatever. So they are going to keep serving you the sort of stuff that they think they want you to see. Now, of course, that then, you know, and... And, and they're, they're doing it as much for advertising purposes, not that they have any... Is, am I correct in that? Correct, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what... that's They want to make money. And there's plenty of well-paid Facebook staff here in Dublin that would... That, I'm sure, would wax poetic about how they are actually trying to, to fix things, you know. But, like, I think what, what I've found interesting and, well, concerning, really, is that uh, we're starting to see some of this stuff prop up in, crop up in Ireland now, Um with the anti-vax stuff, I know there's been a bit of reporting. There are campaigns out there that are anti-vaccinations for the likes of cervical cancer and various uh, conditions like that. Yeah, so there's this, and again, most of it's total sort of conspiracy theories, misinformation out there, but it's getting propelled into people's social media and onto their phone. And, you know, as people, as, as that washes over people again and again and again and again, it might not make them absolutely believe to say, oh, well, I shouldn't vaccinate my child. But it might at some point make put enough doubt in their head that they might actually come around to say, well, actually, I, I don't think, I think on the balance of it, I probably don't need to um, because there's, you know, there's so many questions raised about it. Uh, and that sort of stuff is where you're talking about real people's lives then, mm. you know. So it, it goes from this, because I, I think it's hard for all of us still to, to conceptualise how much of our worlds now we we sort of um, we we perceive the world through our phones? Do you know, like oh, yeah. a lot of us are on it, you know, a hundred times a day for a few hours a day. Um, so I I think we still haven't figured out as a society, you know, what is it? What what does it mean when there isn't a common truth? A lot of times, like I think that's the big issue in the U.S. is that you open your Facebook feed and. You know, you could be sitting next to a lad who one lad likes Trump, the other lad doesn't like Trump. They're going to be seeing totally different news stories, totally different spin on news stories. So what happens then when there's a society that nobody, like, there's no ground truth? Well, there's a ground truth, but people can't access it or it's not available to people readily. And I think that has all sort of profound impact on, on politics and society. And it's really, I mean, it's an absolute gift if you're a political campaign. Because you, on Facebook right now, you can target, I could target you based off your interests, based where you live, etc., etc. And I could serve you with an ad that's from the same campaign that's saying something totally different to what I serve your brother or sister or friend who might have a different interest or a different view on it. And the other aspect of that, I presume, Donnie, is that if you, if you use that ad there, for example, on a billboard or on a newspaper, and it was factually inaccurate, immediately that inaccuracy would be pointed out because it's this personal relationship directly with the, the Facebook consumers on the column that then e- even lies can go out and it's just not contradicted. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, the, that's, I think, the real fundamental difference here is, is that obviously for, for politics throughout history, and particularly 20th century, is when a false statement is made, you know, whether it's on radio or in a TV ad or on a billboard or whatever, newspaper, 
that can that goes into the public square. That can be debunked. It, it is talked about. The people who will, might see that ad in the newspaper might the next day read in the, that same newspaper. Well, here's how that was false. Now, there's just no, I mean, the Trump campaign is running a few thousand ads a day on Facebook and, and all different sorts of combinations. Now, again, Facebook will say, well, now we've built this database where you can see the ads, etc., etc. But, you know, it's, it's absolute information overflow. And some in the, I mean, 2020 is going to be a big test for the media in the US, you know, in terms of how do you fact check, what do you fact check. There's also so much BS going out there that I think a lot of journalists are saying, well, is it even worth fact checking this thing? Are we, you know, if it's only been seen by a few people, are we just amplifying, you know, the lie and sowing more doubt, even if we fact check it? So there's all these things that, that journalists are tr trying to figure out in the US. But yeah, I mean, I think absolutely there, there's far little oppor less opportunity now, despite all our access to media, to actually go out and set the record straight. And tell me this, um, America, very partisan politics, partisan media in terms of Fox News, CNN would be perceived as being on the other side, what have you, all that. In your experience, has that element of social media had the same impact in politics in other, particularly Western countries? Yeah, I think you're starting to see it a bit in, in the UK, with, um, with, with, uh, particularly around Brexit. And a lot of some of the characters who are involved in the Trump campaign, oh, yeah. the Bannons and the world of stuff like that, who are extremely intelligent people in terms of figuring out how to leverage the power of online and social media and all these sort of websites and things. So I think you're starting to see it coming to the UK a little bit. But again, you know, I think in Ireland, we often think, ah, oh, sure, that won't happen here. You know, yeah. um, you know, there are people in Ireland who are prominent people now posting to a very large audience, total partisan lies, and they're going unchecked. Yeah. And do you, but do you think in terms of the mainstream politics that it is potential to get in here to an extent where it could have an impact? Yeah, I do. I wonder. I mean, America is so polarized. Uh, so I think thankfully Ireland is, is a long way away from that. And, uh, you know, America has been becoming more and more polarized before long before social media. I mean, I think you could go back to the advent of Fox News in, in the 90s probably is where you really started to up the, the game and the polarization there. Um, and obviously, you know, there's different restrictions in place here in Ireland in terms of around broadcasting and, and fairness and things like that that don't exist in, in the US. So I think that has enabled a lot of what's happening in the US. So I think um, I think certainly probably social media obviously go, does not have those restrictions in terms of the fairness and impartiality. So that may be the avenue by which Ireland becomes... Uh, more polarised. And I guess probably in, in the past election, we might have seen, in the Irish election, might have seen a bit of that coming true. And the other thing then is, as you said, a polarisation in America, which is really acute at the moment, and it, it's so obvious, but it would seem, Donny, from the, the type of world that you're painting there, that the chances of closing the gaps that have opened up are very small if you have this constant feed that's basically telling you the other crowd are wrong, you're right, you're right. Do you know what I mean? They, 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 it seems the middle ground is being squeezed out. Yeah, I mean, I'm fairly cynical and I have no solutions. <laughs> I'm only telling you about the problem. Uh, but no, I think it'll only get worse. Um, and particularly, you know, I think I, America is such fertile ground for what Russia is doing or for what, for what people in the US or if to peddle misinformation, to peddle falsehoods, because you have two sides. And I mean, I think a lot of when people think about, you know, 
the fake news or whatever, all like you know, people falling for stupid stuff on the internet. I think a lot of people think it's only Republicans and the supporters of Trump. It's not. You know, the people on the left and the far left are are just as prime and they want to believe you know, they see something about a political opponent, could be about Trump, and they want to believe it. Do you know? And that is what is making a lot of this stuff go viral. So even if somebody sees something and they might say, Is that true? That they 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 just want to believe it. And that is, you know, there's some research now being done about fact-checking, in that even if something is fact-checked, someone will say, oh, no, I don't believe the fact-check. Do you know, so... Was it Killian Conway made a reference to... Alternative... Alternative facts. Alternative facts, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and Trump, uh, Trump made a comment one day up on a rally, I think, about a year ago or so, where he said, uh, what you're seeing and what you're reading is not what's happening. <laughs> so you can put that on it. Yeah, um... And no, you could just coming up to the election, uh, on one level, your job, which is quite obvious, and I've seen it myself on, on CNN on television, and it is obviously becoming a more central part, but the mere fact that you have to have somebody out there watching this information, God, uh, uh, the whole concept of media has been turned on its head like. Absolutely, yeah. And, you know, I think a lot of people in media and newspapers would point at Facebook and Google and say, You've taken all our advertising dollars. You're 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 the people who've sort of destroyed our industry, um, and on top of that, now your your the resources and news organisations are now running after trying to fact check all the stuff that's happening on these <laughs> platforms. You know, now I know that the likes of Facebook will come back and say, "Well, the media hasn't didn't yeah, help themselves," yeah. but you know, um, it is yeah, it is sort of incredible. And I mean, I'm not the only reporter on this now across the, most of the main. Um, national news organizations in the US have um, have a person or two devoted to this. Um, probably there probably have to be four or five of me um, at CNN soon enough, just given the enormity of what's of what's going on. But um, yeah, you know, I think like after in, in two thousand eight when Obama got elected, a lot of people said, "Well, this is uh, the first you know elect internet election," because the way he was using mm. all these tools, and there was a lot of um, enthusiasm about it. Same with uh, the Arab Spring initially, how people said, this is great, this was an, a revolution through social media. We've now seen it sort of come full circle where we could see, oh, well, social media can also be used by repressive regimes, can also be used for the bad in politics. But I do think it wasn't until 2016 where there was the real wake-up call with all this stuff. And I don't think if, if Trump got elected, it, the, the, the funny thing is, if Trump didn't get elected, and if Hillary got elected, it's probably likely we wouldn't be talking about this, and it would be put on the long finger again. And and so all these massive pages that Russia were running might still be up and running and causing all sorts of chaos elsewhere. You know, but uh, I think it's good in that if there's a silver lining of everything that's happening, at least now the conversation is being had. But I mean, I think like what we're talking about here, about the impact that social media and technology is having on us as democracies as societies and children and addictiveness to and attention spans and everything i mean i think this is a, a sort of century long i think it'll be the defining um conversation of this century of like what the hell are we doing with ourselves with this tech couldn't agree more with kids and it drives me around the bend but then as is pointed out to me sometimes i'm to be found on my phone plenty myself so mm-hmm. um, one other thing donny the election itself mm-hmm. How is it shaping up in terms of there's a whole array of Democratic candidates, no one's rising above the field yet, and you've Trump there waiting with, with, his, with his thumb on Twitter waiting for everyone. 
How would you see it shaping up at the moment? Trump is going to be very hard to beat. Um, and I think, you know, yeah, Trump will be very hard to beat. The Democrats, as usual, are tearing themselves apart at the moment. Um, you know, I think it could go all the way to the convention, the Democratic conventions in July. I think it's July or June um, where they will select the candidates. But, you know, there was the whole issue in 2016 of where half the Democrats, a lot of Democrats weren't getting behind Clinton and they were going off voting for other candidates, third party, which obviously totally defeats, the, helps Trump. Um, you know, I don't know if Democrats have learned that lesson from 2016, to be honest. You can see that the Democratic Party is really split at the moment into the left progressives, uh, the Bernies of the world, the Democratic Socialists, as De- Bernie's called, and that phrase seemingly terrifies Americans. It's bad to be a Democratic Socialist in America. And then you have the more sort of um, can- the Biden likes who are who are in the, the centrist, the more established candidates. You know, it'll be very interesting to see if they, whoever is the candidate, if the other side and within the Democrats gets behind them, or will they just do the whole thing where they tear each other apart and Trump marches on for another four years? The thing that Republicans are very good at is once they have a candidate, no matter how good or bad he or she is, they get behind him. Like in 2016, there was all these, you know, for a year when Trump was running in the primary, you had a lot of established Republicans saying, never, never, never back this up. But then once he became the candidate, they all got in line. They said, right, he's our man. This is our side. And now he effectively owns the party. Absolutely. Uh, one other thing, of course, to me there, Donny, I mean, your job, and because you, you, you're, you're trying to get this stuff all the time, you're based in New York. You could nearly do that from Carsonine, or better still, you could head out in Skelly Rock and do it from out there, but a peace and quiet. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I could, I, you know, this for most of what I'm doing, I just need a laptop. Um, although more and more, you know, there's I have to go and sit down and talk with folks from the intelligence security or, or the platforms, or sometimes go out. What's great about my job is get to travel around America to either meet the people who are sort of creating a lot of these fake pages and misinformation or the people who are at the receiving end of it. So that's fascinating. But you're right. Ed, and I'll, the, the nice thing about the job is, uh, well, particularly before I was doing more of the stuff on television, was I could come home for a week or two and just sit on the couch at home uh, in Carisbeen and work from there. Uh, but yeah, actually over Christmas, I think it was probably a historic first broadcast of Carisbeen. I had a story come out over Christmas while I was at home and um, CNN called and they said, oh, will you, can you come on? I said, oh, sure, I'm in Ireland. I said, that's your Skype. So I actually Skyped live into to CNN from my childhood bedroom in, in Carcevi. And I had to tell my mom and dad downstairs, I said, be quiet, don't be shouting up at me while I'm on. And so we had to have complete silence in the house. I was terrified the doorbell would ring or something. So it's, it's a bit surreal, all right? <laughs> Tony, thank you very much. I think you're going to have a very busy year ahead of you between this and November the 4th. Cheers, Vicky. Okay, that's it for now, folks. I think you'll agree uh, a very interesting take on life in uh, American politics and online there from Donny. I'd like to thank producer Declan Conlon and our engineer JJ Vernon. You can subscribe to us on iTunes and Spotify and the other platforms, or you can let me know what you think at mick.clifford at examiner.ie or on Twitter at, at mickcliff. See you again soon. <laughs>